Would you please be seated? It's uh, time for the Bible talk and a fresh reminder that there is a sermon outline that has lots of different blanks in it. And as we get to each sentence, it'll come up on the screen and you can use the uh, use a pen just to fill in the blank. And if you'd like a copy of that, you can also get that on our documents page of our website as well, if you happen to be watching from home. Let me lead us in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that we know that you are here with us now by your Holy Spirit, speaking through your word, the Bible. And we pray that as we now hear you, that you would help us to understand how it is that you're building your church and how it is that we should build upon the foundation who is Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder what comes to mind when I mention the great Australian dream. I think for many of us, we'll know that it's all related to owning your own homes. Because if you can own a freestanding house on a quarter acre block with a hill's hoist and a barbie out the back, you've made it. You might have a crippling mortgage, but at least you're in the market, so they say. And because there's a name that has your a home that has your name on it, you are guaranteed success and security. And so we work and we work to try and pay off a mortgage to own a house. And then when the bank lets us, we buy a bigger house or we renovate the kitchen and the bathrooms especially if it's about the same time as a midlife crisis. And then, if we ever get around to retiring, we keep serving the God of the Aussie dream by mowing the lawn every three days and waking neighbours with leaf blowers on a daily basis. We find our purpose in building things, but then when it gets to the point that we're no longer able to build things, we may find that we are too frail to stay in the house that we have built. And so we end up moving to a room in a nursing home where someone else now mows the lawn and blows the leaves. And all we have of our great Aussie dream is just a photo of our home and memories of our past. And then we die. It's a bit bleak, really. But the great Aussie dream has done nothing to secure the only thing that matters, and that is eternity. And yet we try and build our hopes on bricks and mortars. We try and build our hopes on the building of our dreams. But you know, there actually is something that is worth building. There's a building that is worth investing your life in. And that's because it's a building that will provide a guaranteed return on your investment for eternity. Now, what kind of building might that be? Well, to find out the answer to that question, we need to look at the next section in 1 Corinthians, which is from chapter 3, verse 10 onwards. We're up to the seventh of our series on that particular book. Apostle Paul, he has planted this little church 2,000 years ago in a city called Corinth. And he is going to be talking about a building. And it turns out that this building has a lot about building for eternity. You know, he's just been talking about plants in a field, but now he switches across to talking about building a building. Now, 
Most of us in this building here right now have already put our trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved and been saved. Uh, however, it's likely in a room this size that there may even be one or two of us, perhaps, or someone watching at home on the live stream, who is still trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus. Still trying to work out whether or not it's the right time to say, I'm going to jump on in and I'm going to fully trust in him. And I'm going to have that certainty that is for eternity. Uh, Well, I, I hope that tonight as we have a look here at the scriptures, you will see that there is nothing more important in life than following the Lord Jesus. There is nothing more important than being rescued so that you might have certainty for eternity with him. And tonight we're going to be talking specifically about how it is that the Church of Christ is built. So what is that building then? Well, to find out, we actually need to look at the last verse from last week, which is verse 9 of chapter 3. It says, For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. See there? He says, you're God's field, which he's been talking about already. And then he says, you are God's building. Christians are the building. The people in Corinth who are the Christians and by inference us as well, who, we who follow the Lord Jesus. We are the building. We're also the field that he's been planting the seed in and others have been watering as well and letting God make the plants grow. But now he wants to talk about the Christians in Corinth being God's building. Now when I talk about God's building, I wonder what naturally comes to mind for you. I wonder if I asked one of my kids in my scripture class next door at Jamboree Public, I said, uh, what do you think is God's building? I reckon they'd probably say, oh, it's the big church that's right next to the school. And they point right here to our building here. And you kind of understand it. Yeah, that sort of is in a sense. Uh, it's you know a house of God or a, or a place to worship God. And it's, well, it kind of does function that way, but it's not quite right. Because there's only one physical bricks and mortar building that actually was the true house of God, and that was the temple. That was the building that King Solomon built, and he built it as a physical house in which God's presence might live in a special way. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was stored, which is a big sort of like coffee table-sized chest in which were the original... Ten Commandments and a bunch of other things as well. And that was there to, to, to symbolise the very presence of God. And so they put it in a special building and that building was holy and special. And you could say, that building is the house of God. And that is why they got so upset when the building was smashed up. Just before Daniel went over to Babylon, he was rescued, but a whole lot of others were killed at the same time and God's house was smashed. It was tragic. It was devastating. But that was the building at that time. But then something happened a thousand years later or or a little bit under that. And that is that Jesus said that he is the temple. He said, don't worry about buildings anymore, physical ones. Now think about me. I am the building. In John chapter 2, he said this. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? they exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Got it? So when Jesus comes along, he says, 
That big fancy temple up there, it's just a building, it's just a museum. It doesn't mean anything anymore because I am the temple. I am the body. I am God dwelling amongst us. It's radical. But that's exactly what happened when Jesus came along. But you think, hang on a second. Didn't, didn't Paul just say that God's people were the building? And then yet, isn't Jesus the building? And, well, hang on, how does that work? Is there a way of tying it together? I'm pleased you ask. Because in chapter 1, verse 30, it says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. This is how it all works, right? So we who are followers of Jesus are connected in with him. We are in union with him. We are united with him. We're stuck together. We're one body. And so Jesus is the temple and we are in Christ, which means that we are the temple. We are God's building. And so this is how we understand it all. So we can see that we are God's temple because Jesus is God's temple. And I think it's an extraordinary thing to get our head around. We ourselves are that building because Jesus is that building. So how does it get built? Well, now we start our passage. Because we see in verse 10, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Paul basically says he's the guy who laid that foundation of the building. He laid down the foundation of the building of Christ, the body of Christ, the new temple, the collection of Christians. He is the guy. He's the one who laid the foundation. And he reckons he did a pretty good job because he calls himself an expert builder. Well, uh, basically, in other words, he's not a dodgy builder. He's an expert builder, and we don't want dodgy builders, do we? He's an expert builder, or as other translations put it more literally, he's a wise builder. He's been spending all this time saying, don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be unwise, be wise. And he says, don't build in an unwise way, build in a wise way. And that sort of is a bit of a spoiler about what we're going to get in the next few verses. He says that he has built wisely. But he doesn't take credit for that, because he also says that this wise building happened because of God's grace to me. His ability to be a wise builder, it all came from God. Paul's ability to build came from God. And in particular, he says that he's the one who laid down the foundation. You know, you've got to make sure if you're going to build a building that the foundation works. You know, if you want to put up a shed in the backyard, you want to make sure that you've actually got a slab of concrete that's level and is, is not going to sink down or go... Otherwise, it doesn't matter how good you are at building, if you've got a shoddy foundation, it's not going to work. Trying to build a house and it's soft and it goes in a so- it's, it's all bad. You need a good foundation. And Paul says, he is the one who's done that. He's laid down an expert foundation. And now that he's laid that down, we go on to read that he says in 10b, now others are building on it. He laid the foundation and others are building upon it then. I mean, that's how you get buildings to happen, don't you? You start with a foundation, and then you start building it, building blah, 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 all the way up. But it's got to be done very carefully. We continue in verse 10. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. This building has got to be done with great care. 
If you tried to build the church on a different foundation, it would not be the true church. It would not be the true building. It's only God's building if it's built on the foundation of Jesus. But you know, it's possible to have a really, really good foundation and yet have people come on in and build a building that is shoddy. They may not build it well because they don't know what to do or they do it so fast or they just don't care. Or they might use really cheap materials or bad materials or inferior materials. All of those things can go wrong even though there's a really good foundation. And what we have here is that, well, Paul is going to talk to us now about the possible building materials that could be used. He says in verse 12, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. He lists six different materials, and you can see it goes from being super expensive and precious, over in the gold, right through to not very precious and not very expensive in the, in the straw. Uh, the, the first three in that list, if you look carefully, they actually sound like, like the materials that are used to build God's temple. All that gold and that silver and all those precious jewels. But the second three sound something like from the story of the three little pigs. Now, I mean, who builds a temple from hay or straw? You know, maybe wood, but as the story goes, he'll huff and he'll puff and he'll blow the house down. Now, that's a bad look. The thing is, we need to make sure that we are building upon the solid foundation of Jesus, yes. And we need to make sure we're using the right materials to build. And they need to be materials that stand the test of time. Our materials need to stand the test of time. What, what is that test of time? Well, before we get any further and, and work that out, which we'll come to in a moment, it's worth noting that it's likely that Paul had a particular Old Testament book in mind as he was writing this letter to them. Uh, it's quite interesting. You see that from time to time. It's like he's got it in front of him and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I've got that in mind and I'm writing it down. Well, I've been reading a, a really helpful book on 1 Corinthians that's been useful as I've been preparing these talks, uh, one by Kiampa and, and Rosner. And basically they, they reckon that the Old Testament book of Malachi is probably in front of Paul as he's writing this stuff. Uh, let me read to you a couple of verses and see if you agree. It says in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Can you kind of see there? There's the temple, and the temple is going to have the fire come in, and it's going to test to see the materials. It seems to me that as Paul's thinking about them as the temple, he's, he's thinking about what is happening to the temple there in Malachi and what it's talking about. All this flammable stuff's going to burn and only the precious metals will stay. But what particular test is it that he's got in mind? Well, back to 1 Corinthians 3, 
It says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. What test has he got in mind? Well, he's talking about the day. He's talking about the judgment day, the test of judgment day. That is the day that will show the quality of the work of each builder. That will be the time when there will be the ultimate building inspection. It'll show if the builders have used good material and if they've done good workmanship in selecting that. But otherwise, it'll just burn away. Jesus will return at the end of world history and all our building on that foundation will be tested. And that day of testing will have serious consequences. Verse 14. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. We heard about reward before, didn't we? And we saw it last week as well. Verse 8 said, uh, we'll see in a moment, that, but there is a reward for the faithful builder. We see in verse 8 of chapter 3 that the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work. We saw that last week. The hard work of sowing and watering or building the building will bring a reward. What's the reward? Well, it's going to happen after the testing, after the judgment day that is to come, after the day that the Lord returns. And I think it is the joy of seeing that what you have done in that building has lasted. It's like, whoa, it's, it's survived and it's here now in eternity with me. There's a joy of that. And I think that that's, you know, to, think, to drill down just a little bit more, I, I think it's us seeing the eternal impact of the building work that we did in the lives of other people. When we see those who we have been involved in the, in the whole thing of getting out the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus that helps people know how to follow him and why it matters. When we are doing that, that is what we will see as the eternal impact that will escape the flames. It's In a sense, we're all involved with that if we're involved in what is building with precious metals and precious stones. It may be that you're doing the speaking or it may be that you're involved in supporting the speaking in the many ways that we do ministry here together as the body of Christ here at Jamboree. Whether it's cooking meals, mowing lawns, giving financially, praying, administration, all of those things that are part of the team that is on about telling people about Jesus, using his powerful word, building upon the foundation that is Christ. And in doing so, our investment in that will see us reap the rewards of eternity. We'll see... We'll have the joy of seeing those who are there with us in eternity because we invested in this time now. We invested in this moment here. But for all the rewards that come from investing and working in quality building, there's the opposite as well. Verse 15. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. If the builder of God's house has their work burned up, then they will suffer great loss. 
They invested in dodgy building materials. They did a dodgy job of building. And that will give them, that will create for them a personal impact. And that will be an impact of loss. People will feel the pain of building badly in God's temple. That's fairly intense stuff, isn't it? We don't come across this that often in the Bible, but it is here at various points, and certainly here right now. But before we look into it any further, I want you to be very, very clear that it, that it does say that it, the builder will be saved. This has not got anything to do with whether a person has this certainty for eternity that comes from trusting in Jesus. This is not a salvation thing, right? This is all to do with the rewards or lack of rewards that come from wise living as a Christian. But it's pretty, in, pretty in confronting, isn't it? Because we, we certainly do believe that it's not by doing good things that we will please God, so that he will, we will stand before God at the end of our life and he'll say, why should I let you into my heaven? And we say, oh, because I was a pretty good person or I, I did a lot of good things or I was fairly nice or I contributed to society or I gave lots of money or I did whatever those things are. He's going to say, you missed the point. You, you can't earn your salvation because you cannot do enough good to deal with your sin. It's only by trusting in Jesus that you can deal with that. It's about knowing me first. But once we know Jesus, once we are his friends, once we have that certainty for eternity that comes from trusting in him, that's where this passage now starts to make sense. And he says that we need to build so carefully the temple of God. But why? Why are there such severe ramifications for getting it wrong? Well, I think the next verse helps us. Verse 16. Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. He tells them that you yourselves are none other but the house of God. The Christians are the very temple of God. In the same way that that extraordinary building there on the hill in Jerusalem was the building that you went to. You went up to the mountain of the Lord to be with God in that building. And he was present by his Spirit with his glory filling the temple. And it was a place that, that it was so important, it was holy, and you could only go in there if you were holy, and if you weren't, you would die. That is what the temple was like. And all that stood for that temple now stands for the church, for the people of God, for us, we who are in Christ Jesus. All of that applies. And so we ourselves need to realise that being holy really, really matters. And if it was a problem to build the temple in a way that was shoddy back then, then it's even more a problem to build the body of Christ in a way that is shoddy now. And that is because Christians, we, we are, God's building is holy. But have a look and see what it says next about that. In verse 17... God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You see how much holiness matters? How important it is to understand that God's building is holy. And that's us. 
We are precious to him. And he's not going to let anyone get away with bad or undermining building work on the building. It's too important. It's too serious. We can't treat God's church like it's just a club or a philosophy that helps us get through the night. No. This is the very building of God. It's the very temple of God. And he will not let inferior building materials or works be done to this building. He won't let people do ministry in the church that undermines the foundation of Jesus. We need to let this sink in. Because judgment is coming. And even if you're saved by Jesus, that day will uncover for all of us what we have done for him as one who is already saved by him. If you've been given resources by God and you don't use them to build his church, then you will be held accountable. I will be held accountable. If you, as a follower of Jesus, have got skills and abilities and qualities and finances and capacity and time, and yet you don't use them to build God's church, you'll be judged. You won't lose your salvation. But you will suffer loss. I'll put it on the positive side. If you have skills and abilities and qualities and finances and capacity and time and you use them to build God's church, then you will be rewarded. And that reward will outmatch anything you might ever think you could experience this side of heaven. Your labour will not be in vain. And the investment in building the church will be fully realised when you go to be with Jesus. And it will be a reward beyond measure. Well, what does this bad building look like? Because it's important to be able to pick it. Well, I think we get an answer in verses 18 to 20. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they are worthless. It's all back to wisdom and foolishness. It's the same kind of stuff that we had before. And we see here that the, the Corinthians, they just cared about worldliness they were only concerned with doing what the world thought was good and what the world thought was wise. Their performance review was, was run by the world, not by Jesus. They wanted to win the wise award from the world. They wanted to be loved by those who set the agenda in the public, public sphere. They wanted to be praised by those who have rejected, by, rejected Jesus. And so all their ministry was foolish. All their investment was worthless. And I think this helps us understand what those poor materials were in the earlier verses. I think this makes sense of the wood and the hay and the straw that was going to be burnt up. They had tried to build God's church using the ways of the world. They tried to grow God's field by using worldly wisdom. They didn't use the gold and the silver and the precious stones that were, that were matched 
to the foundation of Jesus. Instead, they chose to use wood and hay and straw that was worldly and foolish, and their work will be destroyed, and they'll suffer great loss. But they'll still be saved, but as ones escaping the fire. So what does this quality building actually look like? Well, its quality building is that which builds on the foundation of Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I I tried to think, how would I briefly put up what Jesus' ministry looks like? I thought, well, maybe the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that kind of stuff, maybe. But I, I recall a verse from Matthew 12, which is also a quote from Isaiah 42, and it goes like this, describing Jesus. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. (laughs) That is what ministry looks like when it's on the foundation That is Jesus. Jesus serves. He pleases God. He proclaims justice. He's gentle. And he brings hope. And sadly, that is so opposite to the ministry that is often done in his name by some. Ministry that's all about making the minister look great or the ministry look great. That's all just going to get burned up in flames. Any ministry that seeks to glorify people and not Jesus will become charcoal. And that means that the people of Corinth had some pretty serious changing to do. And here's how it's summarised in their final verses, 21 and 22. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. If they're going to do a ministry that's based on the foundations of Jesus, they need to get rid of factions and infighting. Factions and infighting need to disappear. It can't just all be about personalities, surely. All that boasting that comes from successes is just going to be burned up in a painful and an embarrassing inferno. Instead, he says, look at what you got. You've got the ministry of Paul and Apollos and Peter, and you've got certainty for eternity. You've got a way to understand the world, life, death, present, the future. Everything belongs to you. And what's more, don't talk about humans that you're trying to impress or follow or whatever, because you're of Jesus. You belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to God. In all of this, they belong to Christ. He belongs to God. And that means they've got everything they need to build God's building. All they need to do is to use the right tools and use the right materials. So are you convinced about that? 
Do you really think that the tools of this world are as worthless as the Bible says? Or do you think that they're still okay? Do you really think that the wisdom of this world is as foolish as the Bible says? Or do you just think, that's okay? Are you really ready to build God's church? Are you really ready to build God's church using the right tools and the right materials? Are you really ready to build the church in a way that matches the foundation? Are you really ready to build the church in a way that will last for eternity? Because this is the only way that you will receive the reward of Jesus himself. It's the only way you'll avoid the loss of wasting the life that Jesus gave you. A life he gave you to serve him. Don't waste your life pursuing the great Australian dream. Invest in the only building that will last through to eternity. Don't waste your life.